Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. With me now is Dr. Christian Luprecht, Queen's University and Royal Military College professor and international security expert. He's a fellow at the NATO College in Rome, and uh, one of his books is Security, Cooperation, Governance, and it's published by the University of Michigan Press. Christian, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Good afternoon, Roy. Yeah, good afternoon. What's your sense about what the next moves are? What happens next as far as the IDF is concerned and uh, Israel's decision to move forward and destroy Hamas? Yeah, so look, I think there's a, a ground invasion is inevitable. And I think this is what the flurry of activity has been about by, in particular, some of the senior Western politicians, the German Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, the German Chancellor, and of course, the trip by President Biden, because my sense is that the Biden administration doesn't trust uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. There's a personal incentive by Benjamin Netanyahu to make sure he keeps the right-wing partners in his coalition on side. These are partners that have not just been militating, of course, for uh, a ground invasion, but are also partners that have previously expressed sympathies towards uh, what could ostensibly um, uh, amount to ethnic cleansing of the uh, of the Gaza Strip. Uh, and major concern in Western capitals that any ground invasion uh, would not just cause uh, the conflict to widen into the West Bank, uh, Lebanon, possibly Hezbollah, uh, also from Syria, um, uh, but would be a major distraction for the United States from uh, the priorities in Ukraine and China and fighting Islamist uh, um, terrorism, but also more broadly, that uh, this could elect a very serious spark in the Middle East. I mean, many of these countries are very volatile. Um, the home populations are very upset, uh, countries such as Jordan or so. Uh, and so uh, this could, uh, uh, the, the, this, I think this is a far more serious situation for many of the regimes in the, in the, in the region uh, than the Arab Spring ever was. And so we're sitting on a powder keg here, and this is why everybody's trying to convince Israel that on the one hand, Yes, it's important to make sure that Hamas does no longer have the capabilities uh, to commit these types of atrocities that make Hamas akin to ISIS. It's important to delegitimize Hamas's capacity to govern uh, in Gaza, but at the same time, we have to do it in a way that uh, doesn't uh, cause a major conflagration of this conflict. Now, this is a big issue, major issue for governments in the region, as you said. And uh, the demonstration in Cairo yesterday pro-Palestinian uh, chanting was going on, and they had the cries from the uh, Arab Spring, bread, freedom, social justice. So that was heard during the Arab Spring. We're hearing it again, again now. So it's a, a very tricky, it's probably a better word than that, um, balancing act for the governments in the Middle East. Look, I mean, in, in Jordan, uh, there was very serious concerns around Friday prayers yesterday that this was going to escalate. Um, there are uh, multiple very significant roadblocks trying to prevent um, uh, the population from marching on the um, uh, uh, from marching on the West Bank. Uh, and there are serious concerns by both Egypt and Jordan. I mean, one of the hypocrisies in the Middle East is that everybody is sympathetic. Uh, to Palestinians in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, but at the same time, 
none of the countries in the region want the Palestinian refugees. And so uh, President al-Sisi in, in Egypt was very uh, clear um, about that. Um, uh, the, this is, you know, on the, on the one hand, because uh, they don't want to give in to um, Israeli sort of right-wing extremist sort of wishes of, of clearing um, parts of uh, parts of the land. But on the other hand, these are all countries that already have serious challenges with the Palestinian refugees that they've been hosting effectively for decades. And look, I mean, in a country like Jordan, um, there are twice as many youth um, entering the labor market as there are jobs. They have a 20% unemployment rate. And these are all countries that are, whose economies are still extremely shaken from the uh, economy, uh, from the pandemic. Uh, so you have uh, a large uh, swath of very disaffected uh, youth, in particular young men, with uh, no real economic prospects, no real political prospects, uh, no economic prospects means they also have little prospect of starting a family or so. And so you can see how this is a, uh, when people see no no hope and no future, um, uh, these are circumstances where they're much more willing to resort to violent measures that otherwise they, uh, they might not. So this is a, an extremely volatile situation. I think uh, we we too readily underestimate not just how volatile the situation um, within Israel and the occupied territories is, um, but how volatile the situation in the region more broadly is. Yeah, and internationally, we have these massive pro-Hamas uh, demonstrations that are taking place. Some people were saying that yesterday in London, I don't have any verification on this, but up to 100,000 demonstrators were present in London. Um, European nations are, in fact, taking action against pro-Hamas demonstrators, including deportation being uh, threatened. And yet, let's talk about this country, Christian. Justin Trudeau remains unwilling to accept that Israel did not bomb the Gaza hospital, even after Israel presented its evidence to the world, even after the president of the United States made it clear that the U.S. stands by Israel's intelligence and American intelligence says that it was a terrorist missile, a misfire, which impacted the Gaza hospital. AP, the Associated Press, which was very quick to jump onto the idea of uh, Israeli bombing of the hospital, is now saying that wasn't the case. They're convinced that it was um, um, a missile, uh, Palestinian uh, um, organization's missile that impacted the hospital. What is the, uh, what is, how is Canada viewed in all of this? We used to be very, we used to be significant. So it's, um, I think much of the political messaging has been absolutely terrible around this. I mean, that uh, just to make sure and be clear from the outset that this is a war between Hamas and the state of Israel. This is not a war between um, the Palestinian people, per se, and the Jewish people or whatever it, uh, it, it might be. Yes, there's a broader conflict in the region, but in our political messaging, we have failed to separate the immediate war and atrocities um, uh, committed here. Um, uh, from the uh, from the broader challenges uh, around the conflict, and I think you can see in the popular mind and in the demonstrations um, that uh, that people have a hard time keeping those apart. But I think as a government, it is important to be principled. And when we live in a in as diverse society as we do in Canada, it is incumbent upon all levels of government to call out any manifestations or sympathies for extremist violence or violent extremism, regardless of what communities they come from. 
And ultimately, we cannot have, well, well people inherently will sympathize with uh, particular religious, ethnic groups, and so forth. Um, we cannot, in a country as diverse as Canada, have people then import effectively the conflict to this country. And I'm very concerned that for largely boutique electoral reasoning, the federal government has not come out and been as clear and as principled as it needs to be, on the one hand, in condemning violent extremism, and on the other hand, being very clear that this humanitarian suffering that is being inflicted is also uh, as equally um, as equally unacceptable. And so uh, I think this is a... This will come back to haunt us um, as a society because effectively what the failure in appropriate political messaging has done has further polarized um, uh, Canadian society. And I think the last thing we needed was more polarization. Yeah. Iran's uh, participation in all of this, Iran's engagement, Iran has consistently threatened Israel with being wiped off the map, uh, has been funding Hamas, is funding Hezbollah, certainly providing a lot of money to Hezbollah, is funding all sorts of efforts that are anti-Israel. What's uh, what's what's Iran's interest now, Christian? Are they uh, are they are they thoroughly uh, engaged in what's going on now, or are they just um, pulling some strings, but not all of them? Well, look, I mean, Iran is obviously going to feel emboldened. They just cut a deal with the United States where they got $6 billion in return for right. five American hostages that were being held by Iran. All this is part of the Biden administration's strategy to keep the Middle East quiet. Well, we can see how well uh, the Biden foreign policy in terms of keeping the Middle East quiet is uh, is working out. Uh, for all of us. And it should be a word of caution for us all that, um, you know, I've long said we can't leave international security up to the Americans. And the problem with the enfeebled and emaciated foreign policy and the extreme harm that this government, the current government, has done to Canada's reputation and credibility in the world, uh, where it's effectively turned foreign policy into an extension of domestic policy uh, that in many ways operates uh, in the best inter electoral interests of the Liberal Party of Canada, not in the best interests of Canada as a country uh, and our national interests, has meant that Canada uh, no longer has the capacity, the tools, the standing, the reputation to provide a counterpiece uh, to, for instance, um, the, the way the United States is unilaterally pursuing its own particular its own particular interests. Think back to 1956, the Suez Crisis, uh, where Lester B. Pearson was, of course, the kingmaker, basically inventing peacekeeping to preserve regional stability and to keep a broader um, conflagration of the conflict, a conflict that could bring the superpowers uh, into a nuclear conflict with one another. Clearly. Um, Canada has an interest the same today, making sure there's no broader conflict, making sure it preserves regional stability. Our Minister of Foreign Affairs travels to the region and basically can't get uh, basically can't get any meetings. Um, you know, it, it shows that unfortunately uh, Canada is no longer a serious player, and this is very much to the detriment here. And uh, you know, it's important because countries such as Iran, what's Iran's broader strategy? It is to weaken Israel. Iran and Hamas want to draw Israel into a broader conflict. They want the ground invasion. They want maximum suffering by uh, the Palestinian population in Gaza and want to televise and visualize that globally. Um, because if Israel gets drawn in, it will weaken Israel militarily, 
politically, economically, and that inherently is going to work to Iran's uh, benefit. Uh, it will destroy whatever is left over from the Oslo Accords. It would essentially destroy the Abram Accords. Uh, it would uh, forsake any prospect of peace between Saudi Arabia uh, and uh, uh, and Israel. And the broader challenge, of course, is the person who's really laughing is Vladimir Putin. Look, I mean, but uh, it's it's it distracts the United States from uh, from the war in Ukraine. It distracts the United States from uh, containing China. But really, I mean, uh, it's the challenge of sort of the the double speak because, in effect, uh, what Israel is doing in Gaza is very similar to some of the things that Russia is doing in Ukraine. And so Putin has been saying quite publicly, look, I mean. Uh, the United States is backing Israel and doing sort of uh, rather similar things as in Ukraine. Of course, the catalyst and the causes uh, are hardly comparable, uh, but certainly this entire conflict has played dramatically into Vladimir Putin's hands. Yeah, who's now uh, President Xi of China's best friend. Um, I'm going to be speaking with Alexander Sherba a little bit later on this program today, Christian, the Former Ukrainian ambassador to Austria, he was a member of the diplomatic mission of Ukraine to the United States, and he was a Ukrainian ambassador at large following the 2014 invasion by Russia and the annexation of Crimea. We're 600 days plus into the into the war between Ukraine and uh, and and Putin's Russia, and there's been a tremendous amount of emotional capital expended. There's been a tremendous amount of financial capital expended on the, on this particular war. It's still being expended. Uh, and with the with the intent of driving Putin and his troops out of Ukraine, but when you have a situation, a crisis such as the one that's in in, in place now, in in the Middle East, Ukraine starts to I think for a lot of people slide off the radar. And there's a lot of talk among certain politicians in the United States about we don't want to fund Ukraine anymore. We've given them way too much, and they don't need anymore. This is a wasted cause. How do you see? What's happening in uh, Ukraine, and how significant is that particular war? To me, it's still one of it, it's still something that we have to absolutely stay focused on. Well, I think this is precisely Biden's concern and why he traveled to the region, why Olaf Scholz also traveled uh, to uh, to Israel, because the concern is that essentially Benjamin Netanyahu, in his attempts to stay out of jail. Uh, is going to instrumentalize his right-wing coalition and the Israeli army uh, in a conflict where he knows that he has much of the West behind him and uh, and backing him because the West doesn't have any other options, but that this will dramatically distract from uh, ultimately the priority of making sure uh, we contain both Russia and uh, and China. And so uh, make no mistake, when you have unannounced King Abdullah flying to Berlin telling the German chancellor that the Middle East is about to go on major, um, uh, you're about to have a major bushfire on your hands. Um, when you have Olaf Scholz and President Biden uh, on very short notice, unplanned traveling to the Middle East uh, to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu, you can see that there's considerable concern uh, around uh, containing, um, uh, containing the Israeli response here. And this is not to say that, of course, Israel is not justified in making sure that uh, atrocities, Hamas cannot commit future atrocities against it. Uh, but uh, look, with, a, with an army of 360,000 reservists, uh, Israel is not going to be able to launch um, a ground offensive that is going to tear out Hamas from, uh, from Gaza. 
uh, let alone if Hezbollah decides to start a two-front war. This would effectively draw the United States into the conflict. It would likely mean U.S. Marines going back into Lebanon, uh, and that would mean then uh, there would be very little attention and very little bandwidth for Ukraine, which is, of course, what Vladimir Putin has long been hoping for, which is him playing for time in the sense that the West might lose interest in Ukraine. Uh, and we are very close to that risk. Final question for you is, uh, how does all of this potentially affect this country and Canadians? Um, pardon me, Roy, I didn't hear that. How does, how does all of what's going on now in the Middle East and in Ukraine, how does this potentially or realistically affect this country and Canadians? Um, I think we are at one of the most dangerous moments that we have lived in the world in recent decades. Um, and uh, that the Canadian federal government needs to pay very close attention to what's going on in the world. The Canadian government needs to urgently get re-engaged in the world, and the Canadian government needs to urgently upscale on both its foreign policy and its defense policy to be able to have the credibility, the capacity, and the capability to ensure that it has the means, ways, and ends to assert Canada's national interests and not simply abdicate those interests to the United States and to other allies and to drift behind them, because uh, I think that is not serving our country and our interests well. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.